0: It's the Stitch and Haste Podcast. Commentary, rants, and rebuttals from the world's foremost gay, libertarian, econo blogger. Recorded at the center of the universe, New York City. Law, politics, economics, religion, gay rights, foreign affairs, science, culture, humor, and, of course, Diamond the Dog. My name is Kip. Welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number two of the Stitch and Haste podcast. The topic this week is the Libertarian case against jury nullification. This is something I've blogged about in the past. I have very little new to say. The motivation for my choosing this topic was the fact that jury nullification has been bouncing around the Libertarian blogosphere recently because of an interview that appeared in a recent episode of Time magazine of the producers or writers for the HBO show The Wire. And this is what they said about jury nullification. If asked to serve on a jury deliberating a violation of state or federal drug laws, we will vote to acquit, regardless of the evidence presented. Save for a prosecution in which acts of violence or intended violence are alleged, we will, to borrow Justice Harry Blackmun's manifesto against the death penalty, no longer tinker with the machinery of the drug war. This item was picked up by a leading libertarian blogger, Radley Balco, who is a long time advocate of unlimited jury nullification and therefore it sent progressed through the libertarian blogosphere. as I said, I have been opposed to unlimited jury nullification for some time. And I use this occasion to sort of organize my thoughts on the topic, and I've come up with five reasons why jury nullification is, if not a bad idea, then at least an incoherent, unprincipled, or inconsistent idea things that libertarians who advocate unlimited jury nullification maybe don't take into consideration. I think three of the five are clearly libertarian arguments against nullification. The premise is that nullification is a fundamentally libertarian idea. I reject that, and I have three reasons why I reject it. There are two other considerations that aren't necessarily libertarian, but they are, say, pragmatic or, if you prefer, consequentialist reasons. I'm going to go through them relatively quickly. The first is very simple, very straightforward. It's an unworkable standard. Usually what a libertarian will say is something along the lines of that a juror has the authority, not the right, the authority, to vote against a conviction for an unjust law. Well, fine, but what is an unjust law? How do you define an unjust law? By what standard? You can't just say, well, it's a law, any law that I think is unjust or unfair. That's, that's not good enough. And you can't say, well, by libertarian standards, because libertarian standards vary too. Libertarians don't always agree about what is and is not a just law. There are libertari- Libertarians disagree, for instance, about DUI laws. Libertarians disagree about animal cruelty laws. Libertarians disagree about statutory rape laws. Libertarians disagree about the death penalty. So you can't say, well, the standard's going to be any anti-libertarian law I'm entitled to nullify. What is the standard? You can't ju- it can't be uh, unlimited. The law is based on objective, reasonable standards in almost every aspect. And I think the burden is on the libertarian to come up with a standard. Well, I happen to think the law is unjust. I don't think that's a workable standard. I think that's an anarchic standard. I don't think that's a libertarian standard. I'm going to do what I want because it's the way I want. I don't think that's a principled, due process standard in the modern era. The second reason is also a fundamentally libertarian argument, which is that jury nullification embraces a fundamentally un-libertarian concept, which is the concentration of unchecked power. Now. Let me say that I do believe quite strongly that the jury deliberation process is sacrosanct. I do not believe that the government should have any business second-guessing or performing an autopsy, so to speak, on jury deliberations, unless there's evidence, say, of tampering with uh, juror coercion, juror bribery. But just in the terms of what went on, in the jury room, the discussions, I don't think the government should be involved in that. Having said that, by giving this unlimited, nearly unlimited power to the jury, if we then say that we're giving them the power not only to determine the facts of the case, but also to review the law, well, that's too high a concentration of power. And that's a fundamentally unlibertarian concept. Libertarians are supposed to abhor the concentration of power. We abhor the concentration of power in the executive at the expense of the legislature and the judiciary. We abhor the concentration of power in the federal government at the expense of state and local governments. When you hear the expression judge, jury, and executioner, that's usually a negative statement. That has a negative connotation to it. Now you want the jury not only to be judge, jury, and executioner, but you want them to be legislature, executive, appellate court. That's not the function of a jury. I know people like to pull out some old quotes saying it otherwise, but the function of the jury is to determine the facts, not to second guess the law. That's what judges are for. The third point, and this is the one that I know that I'm not alone. A lot of other libertarians have raised this point among our fellow libertarians, which is the fact that you have to engage in a fundamentally unlibertarian maneuver in order to engage in jury nullification, which is. That essentially, you have to lie your way onto the jury. Now, Radley Balco used some quite flamboyant language. The one problem with jury nullification is that judges and prosecutors often set perjury traps that would that pick would-be nullifiers off during the voir dire process. What is so bad, what is such a trap about saying to someone in a court, You're expected to tell the truth. That's not a perjury trap. What is so outrageous about expecting people to tell the truth in court? It's not a trap to say, what do you think about these laws? Do you think you can follow the judge's instructions? Do you think that you can limit your analysis to the facts as you are supposed to do? How is that a trap? How is it a trap to say that you're expected to tell the truth in a, in a jury and, or in a court in any, in any circumstance? Since when is there a right to commit perjury? And it's not always even perjury. Put that part aside. Why doesn't the defendant have the right to know whether we're dealing with honest jurors, unbiased jurors who are capable of following instructions? I think the idea of calling this a perjury trap is unsophisticated. I think it's it's a very unpersuasive uh, sort of histrionics. There is no right to 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 lie your way onto a jury. I think that that is basically a self-evident concept and a lot of my fellow libertarians have called shenanigans on the nullifiers. Those are the libertarian arguments. There are two non-libertarian arguments. Not anti-libertarian, they're just they're, they're not necessarily they're more pragmatic considerations. The first is that What a lot of the proponents of unlimited jury nullification fail to mention is that when a single juror tries to nullify a criminal law in a particular case, that doesn't mean an acquittal. When you have, say, an 11-to-1 jury, that's not an acquittal. That's a hung jury, which just means you're going to start all over again. Now, it is true that in many cases, I suppose, the prosecutor chooses not to re-pursue the case. Okay, fine. But don't pretend that just because you're going to sit there with your subjective standards and say, I don't, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to deliberate with the other jurors, I think this law, I'm not interested in the facts. And remember, that's what these wire people are saying. We are not interested in the facts. If it's a drug law, we're going to acquit, and we're going to lie our way onto the juries to do so. So you're going to have a hung jury, and you're going to try it all over again. And what have you really accomplished except to you know pat yourself on the back? Have you set an innocent man free? No. The fact that this is more a case not so much of achieving some kind of higher justice, because the nullifier declares himself to be on a higher plane than those of us who are myopic enough to actually tell the truth in court and to apply the law to the facts Faithfully. The nullifier is above that. He's too good for that. But what do you achieve? You don't achieve justice. All you do is achieve a second trial, more often than not. You don't hear them acknowledge that. You also don't hear them acknowledge it when they invoke cases like Zenger, which I'll talk about hopefully in a minute, where there actually was an acquittal. Or, incidentally, how about the acquittal, the jury nullification of O.J. Simpson? How about the jury nullification of those who committed race-based crimes during the Reconstruction era and later. You you can nullify a good law, too. And there's no moral distinction between the libertarian who marches into a courtroom and says, you know what, any drug law is a bad law and I'm going to nullify it, And the racist who says, hey, any integration law is a bad law and I'm going to nullify it. The final point, which is related, is that the libertarian nullifiers refuse to admit that nullification works both ways. And nullification can be used with equal moral standing. I think that's important. The same moral standing a person can say, well... I'm just going to make up the law as I go along. And that can actually create what I think most libertarians would consider an injustice. I want to read to you very quickly two stories, both of which are on my blog. The first, and again, this is, this is not me quoting myself, this is me quoting a media report, <clears throat> but it's on my blog. The people contended that a substantial quantity of marijuana that had been found near, not in, the defendant's apartment had been in the possession of the defendant. The people's case had holes you could drive a truck through. Just over an hour into the deliberations, we took a vote. Eleven not guilty, one guilty. You can probably guess the rest. The one holdout wouldn't budge, even though he was unable to explain why he was certain the defendant was guilty. And yes, the juror was an elderly white man and the defendant was black. Do I think racism was a factor? Hell yes. But I suspect stupid was a factor also. I want to read to you now another story. This one was from the Wall Street Journal. A lone holdout on the jury stood between Merck and company and what would have been a crucial second viox trial victory when the U.S. federal judge overseeing the case abruptly ruled it a mistrial. According to one juror, the, the holdout wasn't swayed by the majority's argument. Basically, the sticking point was the marketing of Viox, this juror said. There was just folding of the arms and rolling of the eyes and did not listening and saying that the marketing was inappropriate and that kind of thing, the juror added. Incidentally, how about nullification in a civil trial? Is that appropriate? I don't think I've ever seen a libertarian nullifier explain or even address the subject. Should civil juries also have the right to nullify? If so, why? If not, why not? Because there it's not the people versus the government, it's the people versus themselves. It's two private parties. Do you get to nullify then? Why? If not, why not? Cannot consistently apply the principles that the libertarian nullifiers seem to think are so lofty. I want to talk very quickly about the Zenger trial. If you don't know the Zenger trial, I'm not going to give you a thorough briefing on it, but I want you to consider a few things for those of you who do know some of the facts of the Zenger trial. The Zenger trial was over 270 years ago. It was in a time before the United States existed, before the Bill of Rights existed. It was a time before modern notions of criminal justice and due process existed. It was, and I think this is important, it was at a time... When judges were not independent, judges were simply agents of the crown to do the crown's bidding. The jury in Zenger, and this is important, the jury in Zenger did not actually nullify a law. They didn't engage in nullification the way it's envisioned today by the wire crowd or by the libertarian nullifier such as Radley Valka. The Zanger jury did not say the libel law was invalid. What they said was the judge's instruction regarding truth as a defense to libel was incorrect. And you know what? It was incorrect. That was an objectively demonstrable fact. He didn't say libel is an invalid law. He said that the judge's instruction was objectively incorrect as a matter of law because the law was unsettled. The judge said, this is a this is settled law, how we do this. That is not the same kind of nullification that we think of when we sit and say, oh, I'm just going to vote to acquit any drug possessor.' It's not the same. Think about that the next time someone invokes Peter Zanger. And the last thing I want to talk about is about these quotes from John Jay and judges here and there that say, oh, the role of the jury is to do both law and fact. Yes, indeed. Well, let me tell you a little fun fact about the history of juries. You know the phrase, a jury of one's peers. In ancient times, by ancient I mean 100, 200, 300 years ago, a jury of one's peers literally meant that. They would go and find your neighbors, your your colleagues, your business associates, people who knew you would be your jurors. Because the idea was, well, they know you. And they're probably in the best position to pass judgment on. Today, these are exactly the kind of people that we keep off a jury. We don't let your neighbors be on the jury. Anyone who knows you can't be a juror because we now understand that there's bias there. So the phrase, a jury of one's peers, has come to mean exactly the opposite of what it originally meant because our notions of due process have evolved. Well, the same is true with the fact versus law schism. The idea that the judges are the determiners of the law and that the sole function of the jury is to make determinations of fact. That is not a corruption of the process. It is not an agglomeration of oppressive power in the judiciary and in prosecutors' offices. It's a refinement of the process that has, in my opinion, improved it over the years and over the decades and over the centuries. This is not a bad thing, that we have now stripped, and I realize there are some states that their constitutions nominally acknowledge this, but in most jurisdictions, in most circumstances, we have stripped the jury of their law interpretation function. Just like we now say that you don't have a jury of your peers, that we meant it then, we don't mean it now. Even if we did it in the past, and even if you can toss a John Jay quote in my face, well, so what? That's it. I might have more information and some links on my blog. Thanks for listening and we will be back i believe next week this has been the stitch and haste podcast thanks for listening for more commentary please visit my blog a stitch in haste at www.kipesquire.com that's www kipesquire.com You can also email me at kipesquire at yahoo.com or leave me a voicemail at 646 386 9964 Thanks for listening.